Good afternoon, brothers and sisters. It is a privilege for us to be together. I hope you feel the same. The feelings are mutual. I love to be in the church. I love to be around you. Uh, every time we get a chance to uh, meet uh, with you, it's, a, it's just thrill. It's joy. I hope it's increasing. I hope it's not just a momentary thing that sparkles because we have experienced something together. But that would be growing experience as we would minister one another in love. This afternoon, I want to bring you a message from 1 Corinthians chapter 13, first three verses. And then we will transition here into communion, and we'll look at the verses 4 to 8. The title of the message is Love, a More Excellent Way. Among many things that we do, among many things that God allows us to do, among many graces that he graces us with, there's something very, very significant, very important that takes preeminent role. Very, very important, superior above everything that we do. And that is love. Pray with me. Father, we humble before you. We inadequate to you and comprehend the love of God. But you and your mercy and your grace. While we were dead, while we were busy engaging in our sinfulness up to the core, brought us to life. And we experience for the first time that someone truly loved us. That impact, that experience has never left us. It always present with us. And as we open the scripture day after day, we see that the love is bleeding through the pages of the scripture. We take your word as the love letter to those who are not worthy, but yet who make the sons and daughters of yours. And we want to bow down before you in appreciation and love. And we also want to ask you, teach us to love, help us to pursue love above everything. Increase our ability to comprehend the love of God. Increase our desire to serve others with love. We praise you. We honor you. We glorify your name. Amen. Now, if you open your Bible in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, we're going to read from chapter 12, verses 31 to verse 7 of chapter 13. Just a reminder for us, Max, read, read it for us, and this is great. This chapter that you really can't get enough. I don't know if you're like me. Um, every time I turn into this, I find something new. This definition of love, this expression of love is so rich, so amazing that it's like drinking uh, your favorite drink, eating your favorite meal. In chapter 12, verse 31, Paul transitioned from talking a lot about giftedness in the church, talking about the body and how the body must function. He said, but earnestly desire the greater gifts. And I show you a still more excellent way. I want to show you a more excellent way. You think you've got it? You think you've got it? You think you have the abilities and graces and the giftedness of God, and you think you're excelling in this, and you're striving for more? I'll show you more excellent way. Paul, what could be more excellent than this? And Paul says, if I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I have become a noisy gong and a clinging symbol. If I have the gift of prophecy and I know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all truth, so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned, but do not have love, it profits me nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind and is not jealous. Love does not brag and it does not arrogant. It does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own. It's not provoked. It does not take into account a wrong suffered. 
does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. How do you find this definition? In preparing of this message and many others, I mean, love is something that I really, really love to talk about. I'm not really good at this of practicing it, but I, I love love. I love when people love me. I love experience love. I love the love of God. It is a lot harder for me to demonstrate the love, but this is what we like. And I read the many definitions of love, and they go basically kind of like this. If you read worldly definition, they would talk about the birds and the flowers and the skies and the feelings and the bosom, and, and so it's a great time. Talking about feelings. And there's some truth in that. The word love or love agape in the Bible, it's descriptive word. It describes the feelings, the emotions, the affections. If you read a biblical definition or if you ask a dating couple what is love, they would give you, especially those who came to our church and been brought up in a Calvinistic theology, they would say, well, Love is something that you sacrificially give in yourself for the benefit of another. And that is truth in that. But it's kind of always incomplete unless you put those two together. There are some kind of feelings. There's some kind of affections, but also there's action. There's love. In fact, all these 15 descriptions that we have here, there are action words. There are verbs, something that the love does. And I usually ask a dating couple, so after you give me this, this definition, can you turn around and, and say to your loved one what you just said to me? And usually it comes very, very rusty. And it's, well, I, I give myself to you and I, and I, you know, sacrificially given myself to you, regardless of what's going to cost me. And I will love you till the end. And they usually ask another person, so, well, how do you feel after that? And they say, well, I don't know. It doesn't make me feel anything. There's a lot of sacrifice, but not a lot of emotions. Another side, if we're all about emotions and not sacrificially giving ourselves for the benefit of another, we're lacking also something. But Paul is talking about the love in chapter 13 as the epic influence, affectious, that must go on in the church. In fact, I would say that this is the most important thing that Paul says in the first and second Corinthians. Corinthians were people who thought that they're spiritually praised, spiritually going forward. They're spiritual people. They're mature. And yet Paul, when addressing them and coming up to, the, uh, to this passage, he said, well, you have a problem. And the problem is that you don't have love, but you have a lot of self-love. You have a lot of self-esteem. You have a lot of self-evaluation. You forgot what the first love is. And when you read 1 Corinthians 1, he said, let me remind you, while you're arguing who is Apollos and who is Cephas and who is Christ, I'll remind you that we all start with God. We all start with the gospel. And when we came to you, we didn't elaborate in our great speeches. We brought you the gospel in humility of our mind. And there's nothing great about us. There's nothing great about our speech. There's only great about what we brought to you. And the greatness of God is that he loved us and demonstrated it on the cross with Jesus Christ. Instead, what you did, Corinthians, you started getting gifts from God and using it for self-gratification. You took what God gave you by grace. You didn't earn it. You didn't work for it. And you used the giftedness of the Holy Spirit that's supposed to be work for others and, and, and seeking benefit of another sacrificially, passionately, you actually turn the whole deal up to elevating self. So when there's no love, things start happening. Like in the Corinthian church, when there is a spirituality in, and brought up by the Holy Spirit, the salvation of people, new life, new nature. And then you start acting and using the giftedness of God by your old nature, by your old way of thinking, doing it for yourself, the collapse happens. And there's a lot of problems we see in Corinthian church. They're competing who is cooler in the church. They're competing who could do more for the sake of Christ, but turning all things for elevating selves. 
they're shifting the focus of God's love, of God's grace to them so that they could go and minister to others. They shifted all to themselves and lifted themselves up in that part. Besides that, Corinthian has problem. They not only were using the giftedness for themselves, but also they compete who's great, who, who is greater, who is the superior among them, who has the better gift, who is the highest, who is the coolest, who is the greatest. They were impressed with the, with the spectacular things. Something familiar that, you know, for our day and age, right? Nobody impressed with humility and holiness anymore. But I see a lot of people impressed with spectacular things. And one of the spectacular things in Corinth, something that they elevate in the giftedness was speaking other languages or talking tongues. They become a talking heads. And we're competing in one another that this is the greatest of all gifts. And they get carried away, really not with the Christian way of dealing, not of loving one another, not of ministering to one another, but ministering through the giftedness of the Holy Spirit of themselves and using everyone as the footstool for their pedestal so that they see the greatness and the coolness of them. A true spirituality is completely unrelated from the gifts. True spirituality never measures up by how much giftedness you have. A true spirituality is ele- uh, uh, evaluated only by the way how much you love another person. How do you use this gift? That's what Paul is saying. There's more excellent way of utilizing yourself and the giftedness of you in the church. I like how Jonathan Swift, he is the author of Gulliver's Troubles. Those who, you know, read this, you know, big man, little man. He said sarcastically about religion. He said, we have just enough religion to make us hate, but not enough to make us love one another. Love is like a glue that holds us together. It's not different. Corinthian church was held by glue of God and God's love. Grace Hill Church is held by glue called love. Love is something that brought us to God in the beginning. Don't you know that it is the kindness of God that leads you to repentance? Love that is what holds you to Christ. Love is what will hold us together in this church. Nothing else. Nothing else. Instead of seeking powerful experience, instead of seeking great abilities, we must seek not the spectacular, but humble. Power in our sanctification does not depend on your ability to serve in your gifts, with your gifts. Power in your sanctification depends strictly and directly to your love and how you utilize yourself in the church. Romans 5, 5 says, hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the, Lord, through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. In order to grow and be useful, we need to go back to the basis. We need to go back to love, which would elevate us to the greatest heights of spirituality. Now, just a note that Corinthians were in big trouble. Years ago, I read about the church that were called themselves Corinthian church. I would never, when we're naming our church, never cross our mind to call our church Corinthian church. It's, it's, a, it's not a good church. I mean, it's a, there's a lot of bad stuff going on. And their self-addressing and self-exaltation brought so many problems that Paul said, I can't even talk to you as spiritual. Are you calling yourself superior? You're thinking that you're superior of another person. Who made you superior? I can't even talk to you like spiritual people. I talk to you as immature. I evaluate you in the light of, the, of, of God. And I can't, use, and can't speak to you as a spiritual man, but as a man of flesh, as infants in Christ. Your understanding of your self-esteem is too overflated. 
And it led them to a lot of problems, a lot of problems. They self-promote themselves and they start sinning against one another. At the communion table, they eat again, they eat and then wait for one another. They ate because they know a lot about God and the knowledge of the idols, that there's nothing. They start eating what was offered to idols, and that knowledge, God said, led you to sin against the weaker brother, and you didn't care. The absence of love and self-love led them to arrogance. Your knowledge leads to arrogance. It gives you nothing. It makes you puffed up. You're supposed to care for your brother, and if it has to be, you don't eat the meat because you care. It brought Corinthians to a cheap life. They didn't care about Paul. They didn't care about his ministry. They didn't give him nothing. They just care about themselves. They ate and drank. Paul addresses this in chapter 9. He said, listen, we didn't borrow from you because you really didn't want to give it to us, nothing. And that high spirituality, quote unquote, led to cheapness. Zeal for more spiritual gifts led to competition in the church. So I want us to evaluate ourselves. How do you value how do you do? How do you do in the church? What is your place? What is your giftedness? But most importantly, what is the role of love in everything that you do? What is the love of, uh, 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 role of love? And I would say Paul says this is the most excellent way, more excellent than anything else. And unless you have love, it really doesn't matter what you do. In fact, I would state that Spiritual giftedness in ministry. Spiritual giftedness in ministry. Without using it with love. Is useless and is damaging. It's damaging. And it's damaging, first of all, to you and then to the church. Now, Paul never diminished spiritual abilities. He elevates them. He said, well, I want you earnestly desire the greatest gift. I want you to have it, but I want you to have it for right reason. And the question why is always more important than what? Why should I do this? Why should I use my gift? Why for what purpose is far more important of what do I have in God? Paul says, you want to, you need to aspire for spiritual gifts. But I want you to understand that in order to be an excellent before God, you, in, order, in order to have a way that leads to godliness and holiness and unity in the church, you have to kill self, stop serving self-love, and start loving other people. And only then the unity and the beauty in the church would actually grow. Spiritual giftedness without love is meaningless and damaging. That's what I want you to remember. Look at this, the prerequisite and the priority of love in those three verses. I want to point you three verses, three simple points. Number one, point, verse one, it says, If I speak with the tongues of men and of an angel, but do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging symbol. The point is this, communication of God's truth, communication of anything, but especially of God's truth, Without love is useless and annoying. You're going to turn away people from the gospel if you're going to start using your ability to communicate without love. That applies to every teacher. That applies to every mom and dad. That applies to every Sunday school teacher, to every proclaimer of the gospel. Everyone, without love, it is useless. In fact, it would annoy people. Beautiful things, valuable things, and even godly things that we speak wouldn't help the listeners in their faith if we speak without love. It doesn't matter what you say, finally. Look at this. Paul says, without love communication, effective communication, effective communication of God's truth would lead to nowhere. Paul said, look, there are, if you speak, and if I speak, and this is hypothetical language. Nobody speaks all the languages of man. Nobody speaks even angelic language. I don't even know what this angelic language is. I mean, some would argue that it's Ukrainian. I would doubt that. But every time we see angels, they speak 
normal human language. So Paul says about normal human languages, tongues is nothing else than just language, foreign language that we see in Acts 2 verses 9 and 11. And it says that there's 17 people who are 17 different, different languages. Uh, we see there are Parthians, Medes, Elamites, and uh, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia. They were hearing, apostles hearing them preaching the great things of God in their own languages. So there's no tongue, some kind of tongue thing, tongue twister that you're going to speak about, you know, because nobody understands, you're just babbling something. That's not what Paul is talking about. Every time there's the word tongue, meaning a foreign language. And Paul says in arguments, listen, the purpose of this tongue, if you know, it was to reverse the curse of Babylonian. The Babylonian tower, when people were building it, God said, in order to stop it, I will bring them different tongues that they would not understand. They, would don't, they will not understand what they're talking about. And then one would talk in English, another would be in Spanish, and they were just like, well, I don't know, where's my bricks? And they couldn't build the tower, and that's how it stopped. That was a curse thing. In fact, every time Jew heard someone talking in different language, it was a reminder of a curse that God will bring the conquering of Jerusalem. That was not a good thing. So speaking in tongue, first of all, was to reverse that curse that when the gospel could be preached in any other language without studying it. That was purpose number one. Number two was to radically spread the gospel. You know, a Chinese person come from a long time, from a long ago uh, from Athens, and he hears people speaking in Chinese, he would ask, do you know what you're talking about? They say, well, we have no clue. We need an interpreter. Interpreter come and interprets, but, but they say, I know what you're talking. You're talking about Jesus who died for our sins. And he believes that was the proclamation of the gospel through the tongues. What Corinthians did, they said, hey, I speak more tongues than you do. And so I start talking. And I start elevating myself rather than serving others. With the gospel, they're using the gospel opportunity to elevate themselves. That is not cool. And their eyes were cool. Without love, ability to communicate God's truth, even in different languages. That would be impressive if I would start talking perfect English right now, right? That'd be good without learning. Or I could, I could talk to you in Russian. Well, I said, well, that's no problem because you are Russian, right? You know this. But if I start talking to you in Swahili, well, that would be impressive all of a sudden. This tongue thing was impressive thing. Impressive. And it played in their fleshliness. They didn't take it spiritually. They didn't serve. They didn't take it as a gift. They said, well, I must be most important than others because I speak two languages now. Some of them even claim that they speak the tongues of angels. Probably Paul is talking here with sarcasm. Because every time we see angels, they speak either Hebrew, Aramaic, or Greek. They speak normal language. But even if you would speak eloquently, beautiful thing like an angel. Even if you would communicate the gospel message in the language that you didn't learn. Clearly, precisely. Everyone understands and repent, but if you do that without love, Paul says, you have become a noisy gong. I don't know, little children, those who have little children, you hear those noisy gongs. You know, they, they like to make noise, a lot of noise. You know, this drum set is good, but if it's left on, alone for like an hour, you'll be tired of it, right? Because it's just like bang, 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 bang. Well, you become like this. A bang, 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 bang. What are you talking about? Ask your, ask your teenager, does who have. When you annoyingly tell them the truth without love, you will become annoying to them and they stop listening to you. That is experience. It doesn't matter how eloquently, how greatly, how great message you have communicated, how great communicator you are. If you do it without love, Paul argues you just have become something that nobody likes. Nobody likes. And the verdict that he says, without communication, you become annoying people, it's right here, right? You have become a noisy gong and a, and a clinging cymbal. Noisy gong is just a deep, a deep noise, boom, 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 and a clinging 
cymbals were just like ding, 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 ding. And imagine you going all day, just boom, boom, ding, ding, boom, boom, ding, ding. And people say, well, what are you doing? Stop. That's how we are. What are we doing without love? That doesn't mean that we stop, should stop talking the truth and telling the truth. If he's going to tell us, tell the truth. You have to. You can't avoid it. You have to tell the truth, but do it with love. I read the story about pastor leaving his church after three years. He was up-to-date preacher who would say a lot of a sweet things and would not hurt anyone, not hurt a flea. Or the other hand, uh, on the other hand, he would uh, not address anything good. A young man came up to him and said, Pastor, I'm so sorry we are going to lose you. When you came to us three years ago, I was a young man who did not care for God, man, or the devil. But since listening to your beautiful sermons, I have learned to love them all. That's a tragedy. But if you do it with love, without love, it doesn't matter. Without love, communicator becomes an annoyed, silent. Bible says the two most important part in communication is truth and love. And you can't do one successfully without another. There's a danger of how we're handling the truth. When we not carefully speak what we, what we see in the Bible. But it's also equally dangerous when we do proclaim the truth, but lack of true compassion. You would say, what is love then? What is love and communication? What love is passionately and actively seeking the benefit of another person at your own cost. Passionately and actively seeking the benefit of another person, not your own benefit, but benefit of another person. Passionately seeking that he would grow in his relationship to Christ, that you're building up in faith. And you cannot do that unless you love. So in order to be effective in our language skills, in our communication of God's truth to people, we must first love. We have to ask this question, what motivates our speech? Love of self or love of God? What am I trying to do with my words? Am I building people up or am I building myself up when I communicate? Why am I preaching? I do it to show off or because the love of God pushes me like the fountain pushes the earth and I can't hold it because there's so much love of God that it cannot hold and I need to spread it. Why do you witness? Why do you correct others and their sins? Why do you encourage? Why do you serve? Why do you sing? Why? Is it flowing out of love of God that builds up the unity and relationship? Seeking another person more important and say, I want you to grow. I am dedicated to the highest good of you. Or are you trying to build yourself up? Number one, the communication, even of God's truth, would serve no one good, especially you, and it would become an annoying thing if it's done without love. Number two, verse two says, if I have the gift of prophecies, and know all the mysteries and all knowledge. And I have all faith so as to remove mountains. That is a, a lot of actions here. That's a lot of things. Amazing. There's a comprehension. There's a knowledge. There's a power. Prophesying God's truth. By the way, what we do here is not prophecy. The language has ceased since the Bible has been written. It says here that when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away. It was for the early church and young church. We needed at that time the languages, speaking, proclamation. Now we need a translations and work in that. But prophecies are gone. But at that time when they didn't have the Bible, clear 66 books of the Bible, and they have bits and pieces of the truth, God sent prophets, prophets to proclaim the truth. And that was a very, very important. Now, Corinthians, they elevated the languages above the prophets. And Paul said, well, that's actually not true. You should strive for prophecies. Prophecies is important. A revelation of God's word. 
You could become a great mouthpiece for God. This is great things. And Paul exalted the gift of the prophecies here. He said, pursue love in chapter 14, verse 1. You desire earnestly spiritual gift, but especially that you may prophesy. Because prophecy strengthens believers. Tongues is for the unbelievers. But in the church prophecies is really good, very important. He said, pursue that. That is good. But in chapter 14, verse 12, he says, So as you, since you are zealous of spiritual gifts, seek to abound for the edification of the church. When you have this prophecy, don't use it to, to show how great you are and how God honored you by giving you the prophecy. No, I use it for the edification of the church. Paul himself was a prophet. He said, I prophesy a lot. Revelation of God. I know the mysteries. But the prophecy but been ministered in love. Speak the truth in love. It's the same principle applied. People who communicate in God's truth, they must wrap it up with God's grace. God did the same when he sent the greatest revelation of all, Jesus Christ, his son. He wrapped him in grace. He said, for God has so loved the world. That was the motivator. That he gave his only begotten son. That is the word. So that everyone who believes will not perish. That is grace. But have eternal life. God is ultimate prophet. And he gave the greatest prophecy wrapped in grace. Corinthians were prophesying right and left. But did it without love. So what's the lesson here? If you have the gift of God, knowing the deepest things of God, knowing the knowledge and revelation of God, you just been qualified to be in the camp of Balaam, King Saul, Judas Iscariot, and some of the Corinthians. You haven't reached much. Balaam prophesied about the special love of God to Israel, yet he has zero love for them. And it was a false prophet. King Saul we're on the way to kill Samuel, and he become a prophesy, uh, uh, prophets among the prophets. Judas Iscariot, who betrayed Jesus, was no doubt proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and yet he became the son of the devil. Corinthians philosophers probably came in, and they were exercising in an eloquent speech and knowledge and giving people and common people knowledge. They were intrigued by this ability to preach. The clarity of God's mysteries. But again, the problem was not that the gift was illegitimate. These were believers. The problem was that they did misuse the gift by not serving one another with love. Now, that's the prophecy. Another thing Paul says, the knowledge without love makes me useless. I could know a lot of stuff. But so What? It's one thing to prophesy, another thing to understand what you have. And there's a progression here. So there's a tongues proclamation to the unbelievers. Then there's a, there a prophecies that is the word of God. Then there is a mysteries of God's, something that was not revealed. And then there's some understanding of this, some knowledge. And then there's even faith that could move the mountains. Paul said, if I could have all of this, that's hypothetical. If I could have all of this. But lack love, I have profit me nothing. We speak God's wisdom, Paul says in mysteries. I, the steward of God's mystery, I know a lot. God granted me a lot. But if I would have all of this without love, it would profit me nothing. Paul's ministry was impressive, very impressive. He revealed the hidden things of God. If you have all the knowledge... Imagine you study in all the universities. You knowledge, you have knowledge, not just human knowledge, but God's knowledge. If you would come at the Q&A when Job was there and God will ask him, hey, do you know what happens then and now? Do you know how the goats are reproducing and, and how, where the stores, storehouse of the snow? And you would answer every question. God said, that this knowledge and ability to comprehend God's mystery would not help you at all. It's not only just knowledge about the universe, spiritual knowledge, legit explanations, biblical teachings, systematic theology, everything falls into this. Pharisees were great. 
were great at explaining the law. In Luke chapter 11, verse 42, Jesus said, But woe to you, Pharisees, for you pay tithe of mint and rue of every kind of garden herb, and yet disregard justice and the love of God. But these are the things you should have done without neglecting the others. You have the knowledge, but you lack the mercy. You have the understanding what you're supposed to do, but you do it without love. Corinthians with boasting, with sort of knowledge that they have. But Paul says, knowledge make you arrogant. Knowledge without love make you arrogant and boastful. You don't become more spiritual simply because you know. Galatians 5, 6 again says, in Christ, faith working through love. Knowledge of spiritual things without love adds nothing to you. Knowledge cannot add value to you. Love does. Christ does. God does. I knew a professor of theological seminary who was preaching unholiness. He knew a great deal about holiness. In his church and in his classes, at the same time, he was counseling a young lady while having an affair with her. He lost his ministry, he lost his family, he lost his reputation simply because he lacked love. Matthew Henry, 300 years ago, wrote this. It is not great knowledge that God sets a value upon, but true and hearty devotion and love. Besides that, you have the prophecies, you have the understanding of the mysteries, something that God didn't reveal, but now you know. You're in the rank of Peter and, and Paul. You have the spiritual clarity understanding, and then you could have faith such as to remove mountains. It's amazing. Now, he's not talking about faith here, saving faith. He's talking about the gift of faith or the granting a special ability to trust Jesus and ask of some things that God would grant to you. Like Peter would ask for healing and it was granted to him. Some people were able to ask for resurrection from the dead and people were resurrected. That was a special ability for the early church that it sees now. It was ability to trust God for great things. Remember, disciples in Mark chapter 9, they lacked this faith. And Jesus said, well, you're lacking faith. That's why you cannot cast out demon out of this boy. These gifts were confirmatory gifts to the prophecy gifts. When the prophet came to the town and he preaches about God, and people hear in different languages the same message. And someone said about revelation about God and explain it in systematic way to them. And then someone, boom, does miracle. People, attention, just rise up. Wow, that must be from God. But if you could remove the mountains from, and I, again, it's a hypothetical. I don't know why would we do that. Why would it take the mountains except the Grace Hill mountain? Remove it. But why would you remove mountains from place to place? Hypothetically, and, and Hippopoli says that there's a great deal of things you could do. You could do work in miracles, but without love, it would add you nothing. It actually will subtract from you. See, after glorious experience of receiving and exercising such things like special insights of God's plan, possessing the full knowledge of things of the world and of God, and even thinks able to do the impossible for the ordinary person. One may think that what else do I need? I've got it all. I've got it all. I feel good. I'm used by God in the church of God. In fact, I'm used quite mightily so that what you could ask for me, Paul. And Paul says simply, add love to it. Would you add love to it? That would make whole difference. Love would make all things right. Take away love from the equation, and you got nothing right. Your ministry is not good. You are not right. 
your zeal is not right, nothing is good. I want to bring you the example of Jonah, if you remember. Jonah fits well into this two-part description. He could speak the language. He didn't want to go. He also had a great knowledge of God. In fact, that was a rebuke of Jonah. He said, I, I knew it. I knew you. He had a great theology. I knew, God, that you are gracious and compassionate, God, slow to anger and abundant in love and kindness, and one who reject, uh, relents concerning calamity. Therefore, now, O oh Lord, please take my life from me, for death is better to me than life. I call him spiritual terrorist. He didn't want to go. He was rather die than see people come to save in faith. He had the ability to communicate God's truth. He has the knowledge of God, deep knowledge of God, that those poor Ninevans had no idea. And yet he lacked one thing. He lacked love. And God has to teach him of the compassion and loving kindness that God has for him. What was lacking in Jonah? Not faith, not knowledge, but love. He actually hated Ninevites. He wanted him to die. He went up on the hill and just waiting to see that brimstone would go upon them. So your great abilities for God without love would add nothing to you. In fact, in many cases, it will be destructive. Now, the third thing is here in verse 3. Zeal without love is useless. Zeal is actually very, very dangerous without love. Paul says, listen, I have two things for you here. If I will give my possessions to feed the poor and I surrender my body, I give, I would give everything that I have. Possessions mean that all you have. It's not what you have in your garage at the end of the, at the, end of the uh, summer that you need to get rid of it and make some more room. It's not, it's all. And Paul says, if I would take it bits by bits, piece by piece and take everything that I have, jewels, clothes, money, my bank account depleting by giving for the good cause to people, something that we see the rich people, unbelieving people do a lot, and we applause them, and that is a good thing, but that brings them nothing. They're depleting the, the, their, the physical account, and then they add nothing into heaven. They're devastating. Paul said, well, listen, even if you agree to give yourself, even if you sacrifice your life without love, you profit nothing. Amazingly. You know about possessions in Ananias of fire, they, they add possessions and they sold possessions that they brought up in order to show off. Every time we give, and even give sacrificially to pay attention to ourselves, we just robbing ourselves. There's nothing adding to this. Actually, it didn't profit them at all. They died. Selfishness pays no dividends at all. When you do everything because of you and for your cause, you add in nothing. God demands heart, a sacrificial heart. I read the story about the, uh, William Carey. William Carey was the first missionary to India. And he gathered this uh, missionary society together and said, well, brothers, I will go down into the well and you hold the ropes. Meaning that I'm going to go to India, but you're going to support me and supply the needs because I would need you. And there was a young man, Andrew Fuller, who went on his behalf and get money in donations for him. So he came to one rich person and the rich person take the golden coin, and he said, well, here, that's going to be a help for your missionary. And Andrew Fuller picked it up, pushed it back across the deck to the rich man and said, I cannot take it, for my Lord demands the heart. And stung by the rebuke, the English nobleman slowly picked up the gold piece and put it back in his pocket. So for a moment, sat down at the desk, wrote out a check, handed it to Andrew Fuller and said, take this, for this come from the heart. The same thing, same action. It might come from selfishness or from the love of God. Dying 
for the right cause without love, going in a murder room would not help you. In fact, sometimes martyrdom, and it's proven in history, was way of showing fanatism. Fanatics who did this. I know my grandfather suffered from Christ, for Christ, but he was not looking for it. I recently read the book about Chinese believers that they're praying now to get into trouble. They're praying this, this, this thing. He said, I want to suffer for you, Jesus. I do not want to go to a safe place. I don't, please. I want to be counted worthy to die in your name. Now, I'm not here to judge, but it might be it comes from the selfishness. I, we don't pray this way. We're not necessarily seeking for trouble. If God allows us to suffer for him, we will. In history, there are some Christians who are eagerly seeking death, either to wash their sins away or to go in history as martyrs. That is not good. This is not noble. This is not helping. This is not glorious. At the, sec- at the end of the section, we see that life and service without love would lead us to a total bankruptcy. Giving away what you have for self-driven purposes would lead you to a bankruptcy. The foundation on which you are building is Christ. And no one can lay a real different foundation, sustaining foundation. But what you're building with, it's also important. If you're building not with the material of the gospel, if you're not doing it sacrificially for the love of God and love of people, you're you're building from the selfish material that's going to burn, hay, wood, and straw. But there is such a thing as sacrifice that promoted and flowing out of love. There is. Many people died for Christ. And that was not selfish. That was really, really beautiful and glorious. That serves the church, showing that faith worth dying for. Stephen died. But you know how he died? He died with the words, forgive them. But Jesus is the ultimate, ultimate picture of this love service. Jesus have laid his life for his friends. The Son of God set his affections on people and made a willful choice to seek the highest goodness for the wicked people. It was not proven to anyone anything. He was just loving. He was given and given even his life. He was not dying to earn more glory. He was already full of glory. He was dying because he loved. Because he loved. Because he was motivated by love. He wanted to express the love in death. We read in Romans 5, it says, For God demonstrated his own love for us. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. See, the absence of love and ministry means that I'm chasing wrong goals. Actually, I'll become worse than I am. I will become hollow. I become nothing. I will gain nothing for my efforts. Selfishness never pays. It doesn't stick. People don't like it. We don't like it. And yet we're good at it. God said, pursue love. The Paul transition into explanation of the tongues in chapter 14, he says, pursue love. Pursue love. Try to build your Christian life without love is useless work and is devastating. And if you do that, at some point, you know what's going to happen? You're going to get into the severe and, and great crash of your faith. Because your faith is built not through love, not by the gospel, but by selfishness. And it's just a matter of time when you get into divorce, into separation, into personal devastation, because you have not built, not only not on a foundation, but by the material of the gospel. 
in humility, self-rejection, and love. If you build with selfishness and try to point attention to yourself, you build in a house of cards. Just a matter of time when the wind blows and it's just gone. All you have is Christ anyway. So we would like to motivate you to love one another. Not to pay attention to what you could do greatly, what giftedness you have. It's good. Develop that. There are many commands. But please, first and primary, love one another. Let us learn. The same is true for Corinthians and for us. You know, building a, your life and building a ministry without love, it's, it's like if you would try to bake a cake, let's say banana cake, but without a banana. You would do all the ingredients right, it would come out all good, and you could call it banana cake, but it's not a banana cake. Why? Because there's no banana. Sometimes we build it in our lives, call it Christian life, but the very significant and important ingredients of Christian life is love. And if you look at your life and it misses it, it's not Christian. It's not Christian. Father, we pray, may you bless us as we transition to bank in your love because you're the only one who fulfilled these verses four to eight and we fall very short and yet we lift it up by the spirit and we're able we're able you're lifting us up to see what is the trinity doing and in the trinitarian relationship that is ultimately the ontological agreement to love one another and seeking the best and the goodness of another person, regardless whether that person is good or bad. And that's what you're doing to us. You show us and you brought us into the relationship. And you are super patient with us and you're super kind. Your love does not bring jealousy. Your love does not brag of anything. It does not lead us to arrogance. It does not act unbecomingly does not seek its own. It does not provoke by, by sins or by mistreatment. It does not take into account of wrong things, even to suffering. It does not rejoice in any unrighteous things, but rejoice when people walk in truth. It never stops. It bears all things. It covers all our sins. It, it believes all things. It sees in people good, helps all things, endures all things, and your love is never failed. When we put this all together, we have a portrait of Jesus Christ, whom we worship, whom we love, and whom we proclaim, and whom we also want to follow. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.